What's good people? CJ Williams tapping in for Culturalist Theory. Today we dive into the discography of one of our most requested acts, Ye, BKA Kanye West. For this list, we will not include compilations or the STEM player exclusive release Donda 2 that 90% of you haven't heard anyway. With that out of the way, let's not waste another second. Number 10, Jesus is King. Originally announced as Yandi, 2019's Jesus is King is Ye's first dip into non-secular music. Forming his choir Sunday service earlier that year, he would tour with them performing covers of his music as well as gospel songs. Not exactly sure whether to take this switch up seriously, Gospel Ye became a reality as he would drop the 11 track effort October 25th the same year. While it is classified as gospel, it's more Christian hip hop, similar to the likes of Lecrae and less like Kirk Franklin, as there's more bars than traditional Sunday hymns. Looked at as a miss for most as it was a stark departure from his traditional sound, although I guess at this point of his career, traditional isn't really in Kanye's vocabulary. Still, there are glimpses of promise on records like Follow God, Closed on Sunday, and On God. You got the feeling if he could hone in more on that and be strategic with his choir placements that he'd be on to something. Thankfully, this was not his last attempt as he would double back on the follow-up Donda, which would yield much better results. A sequel was announced via Twitter with a picture of Kanye and Dr. Dre in the studio, and a few of those songs from the sessions ended up on other projects, but no full album in sight at the time of this recording. But we knew that was never gonna drop though, right? Number nine, Yay. Remember when Kanye bought land in the middle of nowhere USA, aka Jackson Hole, Wyoming? He would house many musical acts as well as his good music roster there to record what we now know to be the Wyoming Sessions. Five albums released in five consecutive weeks, seven songs apiece, with the exception of Tiana Taylor's album, which was eight tracks. Well, the second release of the Wyoming Sessions was Kanye's eighth solo album, Yay. Embracing his newly diagnosed bipolar condition, coming off what we can only describe as strange behavior during his life of Pablo tour two years prior, many were very interested to see what Ye had to say since being off the grid. Well, apparently not much at all. The album, much like a few of those Wyoming joints, sounded rushed and thrown together. The bars were some of his worst in his career. It also didn't help that it was sandwiched in between the best two projects from said sessions, Pusha's Daytona, and his Kid Cudi collab, Kid See Ghost, making this EP-sized album a forgettable one even for diehard Kanye stands. If you must run something back, No Mistakes has good vocals from Charlie Wilson, 070 shake-bodied ghost town, or maybe yikes with pen help from none other than frenemy Drake. But let's be clear, nothing on here is worthy of an Essentials Kanye playlist at all. Number eight, 808s and Heartbreaks. If you're even remotely familiar with Kanye's origin story, whether by being a fan or you came across his Netflix documentary, Genius, then you know how close he was to his mother, Donda West. Well, when she passed unexpectedly in 2007, the loss took a huge toll on Kanye. Some say he hasn't been the same since. Many people forget just a few months later, his engagement with his longtime girlfriend was called off too, prompting Ye to make a 180 as it relates to music. Originally planned to be the final album in his dropout series titled Good Ass Job, we instead received one of his most creative bodies of work in 808s and Heartbreaks. Heavy on harmonizing and auto-tune, the bars were few and far between, a drastic change in vibes from his previous albums. This was a major gamble as Kanye was coming off three critically and commercially successful projects, which makes this album even more impressive if you ask us. Stripped down production on record like Say You Will and Amazing were game changers, showing the genre we knew as rap was now wide open. The first half of the album is its strongest, with the Cuddy-assisted Welcome to Heartbreak being the standout. Speaking of Cuddy, he would be the unsung hero of this project, lending his pen to several records. If you haven't seen his documentary on 
Amazon Prime, a man named Scott. There's a cool story on how he wrote Heartless on the plane ride to Hawaii to meet Kanye for the first time. The album has a few minor flaws as there is a slight bump in the road toward the middle with street lights and bad news being skips, but he finds his course closing strong with See You In My Nightmares and Coldest Winter. The genre blending album would eventually resonate with fans and critics, selling over 7 million copies worldwide and proving over time to be one of his most influential works. Number seven, Yeezus. While we're on the subject of genre blending, we introduce you to Kanye's most polarizing effort, Yeezus. Well, polarizing depending on who you ask. Critics and publications hailed the album as some of his best work. Fans, on the other hand, were divided. The in-your-face brash production was a turnoff for some who simply missed the days of chipmunk soul samples. Mileage may vary on this album depending on how into rock or electro you are. More experimental than 808s, the entire album from production to the artwork was stripped down to a minimalistic approach. You have Rick Rubin to thank for the bare bones production, Virgil Abloh for the open casket for CD's album cover, as well as Sahai the Prince for many of the abrasive bars, which match the in-your-face production style. We knew from the rollout that this one was gonna be different. To give fans a taste of the vibes, the record New Slaves was premiered publicly via video projection across 66 different locations at the same damn time. So if you're one of the few who are walking down the street minding your business, looking up to see a black and white close-up of Kanye's face spitting a record you've never heard before, you probably still vividly remember it. We must say, one of the dopest guerrilla marketing campaigns we've seen in hip-hop. He would then perform the record along with the punk rock-inspired black skinheads on SNL the next day. As we stated before, many day one Kanye fans scoffed at the tone of the album, wishing he would have just made an album full of bound twos. Upon further review though, this album slaps. Ye has been quoted as saying the album would have been received much differently had he placed a more traditional sounding record number one like Blood on the Leaves. And maybe he's right as the actual first record on site set the tone and turned many off immediately. Patient listeners though were blessed with well-placed features like Chief Keef, Charlie Wilson, Frank Ocean, and Kid Cudi. The latter stealing the show on the banger guilt trip. According to Reddit, this is the most quotable album of all time and before you say, man, fuck out of here, someone was actually able to recite the entire album on Twitter using only retweets. So maybe Reddit's claim isn't so far-fetched. The album was accompanied by a tour that was pretty dope, but peep the opening acts. Depending on where you caught the show, either Pusha T, Tribe Called Quest, budding superstar Kendrick Lamar, or a super young Travis Scott was the opening act. It's crazy, right? For those of you who skip one through nine just to hear Bound 2, because it reminds you of that old Kanye, do yourself a favor and revisit it with an open mind. You can thank us later. Number six, The Life of Pablo. Inching out Yeezus for the number six spot is Ye's underrated seventh album, The Life of Pablo. Going through a number of title changes, starting at So Help Me God, then Swish, then morphing into Waves, shout out to Max B, before finally teasing the initials TLOP, prompting fans to guess what the letters stood for. It only took 17 minutes for Twitter user Dante Holly to guess correctly. Wonder if he got the free Yeezys and fashion show tickets that came with the correct response. Dante, if you're watching, let us know in the comments. Now, speaking of the fashion show, the Yeezy season three show at MSG doubled as a listening party for the album. We've all seen that iconic picture with Ye having an out-of-body experience with Pusha in the background. Yep, that one right there. If you didn't attend the show, it likely took you weeks to hear the album itself as Apple Music and Spotify users would have to wait until April 1st to get access, while title subscribers heard it on the original February 14th release date. All right, enough about the rollout. What was the music hitting on? She in a word? Banging? We get some musical foreshadowing with the gospel-esque ultralight beam, followed by a three-piece combo, Father Stretch My Hands Part 1, Part 2, which is basically a remix of Panda by Future, I mean Designer, and then the Rihanna featured Taylor Swift name-dropping Famous. From there, you get a variety of vibes from the mumbling Freestyle 4, the haunting Wolves, and some of Ye's best bars in a minute with real friends. Upon its release, if you thought some songs sounded unfinished, 
greenish, that's because they were, with Kanye even continuing to update the album post-release. If there was a knock, you could argue that the rest of the bars don't match the level of real friends, but there's no shortage of tweetable lyrics for whatever that's worth. Plus, there are a ton of features. We don't mind, but for the most part, they're well-placed. We can't leave this review without speaking on the tour that followed later that year. If you, like me, attended it, then you know how legendary it was. Kanye had a stage floating with lights underneath, highlighting the fans below, some even trying to climb on top. That's kind of weird. But the energy from the concert goers on the floor, coinciding with Kanye's passionate rhyming as he was chained to the center of the platform, of course, that was for security reasons, but it played like he was trying to break free from the restraints, which made the visuals that much more dope. Only Kanye could sell out a concert with most of the people in attendance not even able to see him. Unfortunately, he would not see it through to the end, and after a few strange rants during the last couple of stops, the tour was canceled, and Ye checked into a facility for psychiatric observation. It was a lot. We give this album the slight edge over Yeezus for its higher replay value, and had he added the Lucy all day, that would have been the cherry on the top. And yes, we still watch that Brit Awards performance at least once a quarter. Literal flames. Number five, Donda. Kanye's second attempt at non-secular music fared much better than his first. He would release a deluxe edition shortly after the initial release, so today that's the one we'll focus on. 32 tracks long and a damn near Avatar runtime, there is a lot to unpack. We understand if the highlights didn't grab you immediately, or you just didn't feel like putting in the commitment to checking out a clean Kanye triple CD. The album was re-released with several part twos to original Donda records and a few new joints sprinkled in. Where it shines is forcing artists to step outside of their comfort zone and drop clean but not corny verses. There was an album listening party in ATL's Mercedes-Benz Dome too that was lit. The features come through and like with most Kanye projects work in his favor. Inserts from the woman who inspired the album was a nice touch as well. Let's talk about the features, shall we? We've got a career-defining verse from Fabio Ford a stellar 16 plus from Andre 3000 with a tearjerker DMX soundbite. Look, if you gotta cut the song off before that part comes on, we feel you. It's the perfect balance of his previous four projects. Stripped down, sometimes distorted production reminiscent of Yeezus. It's the randomness of Ye, the compilation vibes from Pablo, and the clean, no curse words, religious themes of Jesus is King. We respect Ye sticking to his guns, only releasing the clean version, but man, we would've loved to have access to the explicit one as well. Words being blanked out can ruin a vibe. Outside of that, this album reminds us of a good movie. You can pick it up anywhere in the track list and just let it ride to the end. But Kanye, if you happen to be watching, why did you go with the all black album cover? Number one, fellow Chicago MC Lupe already did that. And for two, this fire ass picture of your childhood home at the Donda listening event in Chicago was right there. Come on, man. Before we get to the top four, we have to let you know you're entering what we like to call the classic zone. Meaning these next bodies of work are considered classic material by most and the order could vary depending on the weather. With that that being said, this is the order we got today. Number four, college dropout. When you hear the phrase old Kanye, what album do you immediately think of? Most of you out there would likely say this one. And by old Kanye, we know you probably mean it in more ways than one. You could be referring to the relatable, likable underdog that many saw themselves in with his debut college dropout. Or musically, you could be referring to the sped up soul chopping sound he became synonymous with. Let's stick with the former for a minute. Ye, well, old Kanye, used his classic debut to call out issues in our community, 
but not in a preachy way, admitting to having those same faults himself. A stark difference in subject matter from his Rockefeller label mates who may or may not have contributed to some of the issues he was speaking on. Because he stuck out but was so ambitious, it was almost impossible not to root for him. A man of the people, this Kanye could have ran for president. <laughs> Sonically, the album holds up today just as well as it did then. Maybe even more refreshing now considering all that's happened since. Spaceships flips Marvin Gaye's distant lover to perfection. Never Let Me Down featuring rock boss Jay-Z didn't disappoint. And the single slow jams with fellow Chicago native Twister had everyone shocked Jamie Foxx knew how to sing. Seriously, before that song, who the hell knew he had that in his bag? Yes, we know he had an album before in the 90s, but we didn't hear it and neither did you. The album overstays its welcome slightly with one or two joints that could have been omitted from the final track list, but still a stellar debut that kicked off an insane three album run. Number three, late registration. This might be the slimmest margin between the number three and number two albums we've ever had on this channel. Both are top tier bodies of work from production, lyrics, and features. But today, late registration grabs the bronze medal, which alongside maybe Jay's discography is the best number three you could have. Not even sure where to start, so we'll just start naming off what works. The album is masterfully crafted with perfectly placed features and lush soundscapes. Lupe, Nas's first bars with Ye, and the People's Champ Paul Wall give A plus performances. Hook Duty from Adam Levine, Brandy, and the game also work well. Speaking of the latter, is that first verse on Crack Music Kanye's best 16? And he killed that. My Way Home gave us a reminder of the magic Ye and Common made just a few months prior on the classic B album. We don't need to even speak on Jay's Diamond from Sierra Leone's verse. Okay, yeah we do. That's a top five Jay verse at worst. With so much to love, we hate to nitpick, but here we are. The single Gold Digger was a smash, but we know he's sick of performing it because we're sick of hearing it, but it was hot at the time when it was fresh. Not adding T.I.'s verse on Drive Slow on the album was criminal, and the joint Gone sounds like a holdover from the debut, not quite matching the vibe of this album. At the end of the day, those are very small critiques for an otherwise classic body of work. Number two, graduation. How in the world could Kanye top those first two albums with both getting better each release, leveling up once again with his damn near flawless graduation? From the face-off with 50 Cent rollout to the Mirakami cover art and everything in between, the album has it all. Stadium records, good life and stronger, introspection with Big Brother and Everything I Am, anthems with Can't Tell Me Nothing, and arguably Ye's best B-side with I Wonder. Did we leave anything out? Oh yeah, Prime Little Wayne, Blessing Barry Bonds, Flashing Lights featuring Dwayne lacing the hook, and the tone-setting intro, Good Morning. All of those joints slapped, so it was to no one's surprise that the manufactured billboard battle with 50's Curtis was a blowout. The album sold 437,000 copies on the first day of its release, coming just short of a million for the entire week. For those wondering, Curtis did 691,000, which is no slouch, but the L didn't push fifth into retirement like he claimed it would. Kanye would take home yet another Best Rap Album Grammy for graduation, his third in a row, with sales topping out at five times platinum. The album gets the slight edge over registration for its more concise 14 song track list and bigger more popular records. And y'all can stop acting like you hate drunken hot girls because we know you don't. Number one, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Fresh off of interrupting America's sweetheart Taylor Swift at the 09 VMAs, a situation which Ye blamed on fatigue, Kanye took a break from being in the public eye. While on a self-imposed exile to Honolulu, Hawaii, he began recording his fifth album. He had plenty of company to keep him occupied 
Tonight as producers Mike Dean and No ID, along with artists ranging from Nicki Minaj to Elton John, pulled up to contribute. Wes claims to have spent over $3 million for the album, and we believe him. For one, the rent in Hawaii is insane, and two, the project sounds expensive. Songs like All of the Lights, Runaway, and Devil in a New Dress sound like they took months to perfect. The latter containing a smooth guitar solo in the middle of the record, only to be finished off by a top two rosé verse, and it ain't two. Other standouts were Monster, featuring a career-defining Nicki verse, where she stole the spotlight from everyone involved, including Jay-Z. We also want to thank Sahai the Prince for sneaking his verse onto So Appalled. According to him, he was tasked with writing a hook, but when Kanye fell asleep in the studio, Sahai took things a step further, recording an entire verse instead. When Ye played the record for some, quote, big-name musicians, they raved about Sahai's verse so much that he couldn't remove it. Well played, Sahai, but hey, where that album at, though? We need that. Now, to promote fantasy, Wes would release a new song every Friday leading up to the drop date, dubbing the series Good Fridays. 15 tracks would be released during that time frame, with three making the final track list. Considered to be one of, if not the best album of the 2010s, Kanye was public enemy number one leading up to this. He needed a remedy, and fantasy was just what the doctor ordered, furthermore proving that good music could trump any of his antics. The question is, in 2023, do you believe that to still be the case? Like, if Kanye dropped tomorrow, would he move the needle like he used to? Let us know down in the comments. Man, don't forget to subscribe. We got new goals. 20K subs, baby, let's get it. If you're new to the channel, we got hella videos, and here are a few more. Click and enjoy, and I'll see you next time. Peace.